0: Welcome back to Living More of a Life, the podcast. We don't have to suffer from stress induced postpartum psychosis to benefit from what Catherine Cho and I discuss in this episode. We talk about anxiety, lack of sleep, and social pressure, and how these can be incredibly damaging. What does it mean to you to live more of a life?
1: to live more of a life? That's a really interesting question. I suppose for me that just means it's just having an awareness because I think often when you are living, living life, it can kind of just pass by rather than feeling like you have those moments of awareness. And I think it's definitely an active state that you have to turn on and kind of be mindful about. So I don't think you can do that every waking moment but definitely um a few moments a day just to be really aware and conscious and mindful to me that's that's what that means
0: brilliant and so so effectively sort of checking in with yourself
1: Checking with yourself, also with the environment, just with everything, just being aware, I think.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a really, really good um, way of thinking about it. And, you know, you say that for a reason, um, I'm sure. But can you explain a little bit more about your story and and, um, why it is that I wanted you to share your story today?
1: Yes, sure. Um, So I had my first baby in 2017. In the fall of 2017, I had a son. Um, I had a very uneventful pregnancy, um, no history of mental health. Um, But when my son was three months old, uh, I experienced postpartum psychosis, uh, which is very rare, but it's essentially a psychotic episode. Um, For me, it was brought on by stress, um, a lack of sleep, and I think cultural pressure. Um, which led to me being sectioned. I was in the US, so I was sectioned for about two weeks and separated from my son. Um, And when I was released, we came back to England. um, And yeah, I had to begin the process of recovery, which was many months of, you know, being first you go into a depression, usually after psychosis. And then afterward, it's about it was for me at least and for most women who've gone through it about repairing and rebuilding a relationship with your child.
0: That's incredible and I've been very fortunate to read your book um, in fact I listened to it so it was it was even more um, intimate for me in terms of actually hearing your voice especially because I already know you um, but can you explain a little bit about you know the the feelings that you were having and the thoughts you were having during this postpartum psychosis?
1: Sure. Um, So I think a lot of it was brought on by fear, which I think the fear and anxiety of being a first time mother, parent, I think is a pretty universal feeling. It's just very uncertain. Um, There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of, I think you're just very vulnerable to comments from other people. And there's just so many things that, are unknown. Um, So for me, it was brought on by fear, I think, and a fear that I was not capable as a mother or that I was even potentially um, capable of hurting my own child. Um, And for me, that trigger moment was looking at his face, my son's face, and his face to me looked like the face of a devil. Um, So his face had changed. And that kind of brought on very soon after a complete loss of an understanding of time and of place. So I stopped experiencing time in a linear way. Um, I did not know where I was. I didn't know what was real or what was not real. Um, And so for me, what was a couple of days before being hospitalized felt like months, even years. Um, And it was really driven, I think, by fear, just this belief that my son was going to die.
0: Oh my gosh. And you in the book as well sort of mentioned something like it had to be like, that your son had to die and it had to be your husband's fault.
1: Yeah, I think that was definitely a thing. So my psychos, I mean, the book is called Inferno because I thought we were in Dante's Inferno. I thought my husband was Dante and that I was Beatrice. And I thought that the whatever particular circle of hell we were traveling on was that. He was responsible for the death of his son, so that was kind of the the main, I suppose, storyline of my psychosis. Wow! And this was a time
0: when you were you were living in England normally, but you had gone back to go and visit your family. And your husband's family um, in the States. And this was all whilst your, your son was quite young, wasn't it? This was before his before his hundredth day, because you had a sort of hundredth day ceremony in your culture.
1: Yeah. So my both my husband and my family, they're Korean. Um, so even though we were both born in the States, they do have some you know Korean traditions. And one of the big traditions is a hundred day celebration, um, which kind of marks um a point of survival um, it's considered that a baby is very vulnerable until 100 days so yeah we left um, London when my son was two months old um, and went to five cities in a period of a month and um, it was in the last place which was in New Jersey when my son was three months old that I experienced the psychosis
0: Absolutely. And there was this social pressure from your family as well, wasn't there, about, you know, you're not meant to leave the house, you're meant to drink a certain soup, you're meant to, you know, hang things. It's a very sort of strict um, tradition that that is expected of you. And, And you were breaking every single rule in the book, weren't you?
1: Yeah, it was surprising to me, because neither my family or my husband's family, I thought were particularly traditional, but somehow and I think this is true for so many cultures, when it comes to babies, there are these very strict ideas about what is safe and what is not safe. So they definitely were surprised that we were traveling. Um, You're meant to stay, well, for 21 days after birth, you're meant to not leave your house. That's confinement, traditional confinement. Um, We didn't do that. Um, And you're definitely, before 100 days, not meant to hop on an airplane and go overseas. Um, And they just thought it was very reckless. And I think that kind of the genuine, you know, anxiety that they felt about what we were doing was just a lot of, you know, I started second guessing what we were doing as well. And, you know, are we being reckless? You know, my son hadn't had all his vaccinations before we flew. Like, is that, you know, it just, you, you don't know. And I think nobody can give you a clear answer. So that just makes it that much more uncertain.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, you and I actually have very similar um, situations in the fact that we both went traveling um, with our children when they were very young. And my daughter was only six weeks old when we went to France for three and a half weeks and and toured around the whole of France by car. Now, you know, we were incredibly lucky that, you know. I was in quite a good mindset. Um, She was healthy. We went to visit a couple of uh, family members. We took that time as as you wanted to, to try and sort of make the most of that maternity leave and and that parental, maybe shared parental leave or whatever you had. And the actual premise behind what you tried to do was was really good that you wanted to use that time. But obviously because of the situation and because of what happened to you, it's potentially kind of uh, soured that concept for you when you look at it now do you feel that it was the going away that did it or do you think it was the very much more the sort of social pressure of going away and you know how you were then meant to feel about it and how others kind of worried so much around you and not so much about what you thought but what others people were putting on to you
1: yeah that's an interesting question because I think um it's one that probably my husband and I disagree on and also I think both our families disagree as well. They firmly believe that it's the trip. Um, you know, it's the trip. It's the fact that we went from California to Virginia to New Jersey that I wasn't sleeping. But for me, i I really feel that it was that pressure. Of course, maybe it was because it was in the context of being, you know, away from home and kind of not having the space to, you know, decompress. But for me, it was less about the logistics of the trip and that kind of stress of travel, but much more about that anxiety and social pressure, for sure. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I mean, you know, anxiety and social pressure are, are two things that, um, you know, I want to talk about a lot on this podcast because I think that, you know, we don't live more of a life because of these things that either we don't really accept our things or we don't talk about it. Um, and I think it's really, really important to kind of recognize that, you know, you went on a trip, I went on a trip. It's not necessarily the trip that does something to somebody. It's it's how you perceive it, how others perceive it, that pressure on you. And and you know what mental state you go into and actually lack of sleep is incredibly powerful on our on our minds Mm -hmm. um I've been through other bits of of um of the breastfeeding journey where I was up many times a night and actually you know even though I was in quite a good place mentally you know I really started to sort of break down and struggle and and not be able to cope with the concept of you know working full-time and looking after a baby and you know it's one of those ones where you know, I don't think it doesn't matter how strong you are mentally. When you have lack of sleep, it, it can, do, you know, erode anybody's um, mental state. Yes, definitely, definitely true. So now you're actually in a position that you've written this book. Um, tell me about that. You started to write it shortly after you came out of the sort of the the what do I call it? Do I call it a unit?
1: Yes, I, yeah. It was a it was a unit. It was a ward um, in New Jersey. Um, so I'd kept a notebook the t- entire time I was there. Um, and then a few days after I was released, we had our original flight booked back to London. So that was kind of a, a lucky coincidence. So we were able to fly back as originally planned. Um, and then within a couple of weeks after that, I fell into a very deep depression, which is pretty typical. Um, but it just meant that I couldn't leave bed, my bed for, I think about two months. Um, And so by the time I kind of was emerging from that is when I thought about writing the book. Um, I knew I'd never heard of postpartum psychosis until I'd actually gone through it. And so I was initially wanting to write like an article or just some kind of piece that was just about was, you know, kind of about the experience. But I just realized that in order to kind of understand the context of a mental breakdown, you have to know what there was before. So yeah, I realized it had completely. to be a book length thing. And so, yes, I wrote it um, that summer, uh, just kind of the first draft was very quick. Um, it I just wanted to show, you know, what it feels like to kind of lose that sense of reality. And also that question of identity that I think, so many women go through when they have a baby
0: absolutely and i mean you have got to the point now where you have um, a husband james who is actually one of my friends as well and and that's how i met you originally Um, james and i used to live together um a few years ago and he's the most incredible chap and he has been the most supportive husband to you as far as i can tell and (laughs) you guys are just incredible together and the interesting thing about this is I met you I think it was just before your wedding um, yes, and yeah it was and 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 you had all your family there and his family there and this was an incredible wedding in London and um, I was there with my husband and and the other uh, couple who also lived with James back in the back in the day and it was the most incredible time and it it, it seems so amazing what you guys had achieved together and and the way in which you connected and the story and it was just amazing and actually Looking back on that now, you, it makes you realise how little you know about someone. I had no idea about your history, which and bear in mind the wedding was before this has even happened. But you've had a history before this of of, of trauma and difficulty, haven't you? Um, and that sort of thing doesn't display no matter how confident or um, attractive somebody is, or how how interesting they are, or how professional they are, or whatever it is. You don't get that. Uh, background on someone unless they fully open up or unless they are actually um maybe even honest with themselves about it at the time um Mm -hmm. honest enough to tell other people but this book actually takes you back doesn't it and this told me things when I listened to it in your own voice um that I'd never even known about you and this was right back to your childhood and the way in which you um had felt during that time with with a very sort of difficult feeling and then it takes you through to when you had a very abusive partner in the past doesn't Mm -hmm. it yeah definitely and I couldn't believe what you've been through for so many years and that trauma and that and that difficulty and the fact that you hadn't really even told your family about it um (laughs) that really spoke to me and I just thought gosh you know no wonder when you're put under that extreme pressure with that amount of lack of sleep with those many social pressures that there's going to be something in you no matter how strong you seem that's going to break because I don't think you'd ever really dealt with the past had you
1: no I don't think I had I mean I think I thought I had um but I suppose that was just meant ignoring it and kind of just setting it aside and I suppose one of the reasons I included it in the book is that I do think you know everything that we go through um it kind of it leaves its mark as much as you don't want it to or you maybe think that it doesn't it leaves a mark and is you know, it's not something that, you know, that experience of living with a violent partner, not many, to be honest, even my closest friends weren't aware um, or even aware of the kind of the, how extreme it was. Um, and so I think when you when I went through psychosis, definitely all those things that I'd kind of put behind me came back to the forefront and insisted on being dealt with at that time. So, yeah.
0: Absolutely, and and when you got together with James, though, you told him about your past, didn't you?
1: I did. Yeah, I was very open with James, just because, you know, I you know I knew that it it probably <laughs> affected the way I was as a partner for sure, and um and you know James, he's incredibly kind and just a very pure and open hearted person, and so, you know, he he really listened to the story and he understood it, I think, but he also I don't think it was until he read the book himself that he really realized the extent of it. You know, I think it's a bit different hearing it versus seeing it presented kind of in a narrative form. Um, Yeah.
0: Gosh. And this book has been so beautifully written. I mean, I'm very fortunate that I've been able to have a bit of time to read things recently or listen to things. um, And I remember I, I bought yours on Audible uh, shortly after it was kind of um, released and, and, and shown on on Facebook. And um, I, I kept it there for a couple of months because at the time I was going through a bit of a, a sort of maybe a bit less stable sort of mindset. I was I was easily upset by things or I was a little bit more anxious and I was trying to work on my own stuff. And I put it by for a couple of months until I thought, OK, I, I can hear a story now without being too affected myself and in a sense that you know when you're trying to get yourself through something sometimes you need to shield yourself a little from other um, more upsetting areas Mm -hmm. but I'm so glad that I did put that time aside and I did listen to it over a number of days because your writing is so beautiful it's probably the the most incredibly written book that I've ever gone through and 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 you just the story is so Um, so present you you feel like you're there you're literally every single step with you and the way in which you described um, being on the ward in in America and the way in which you felt you know you could feel your breasts that were knotted from not breastfeeding and you know you could you could notice that your hair was done differently as though somebody else had done it and you you know the way in which you were wearing something and how it felt and you know when you'd found a prized possession um, and uh, there wasn't really a prized possession in in the outside world, but in the world that you were in, that was, that was a really major thing. And to really feel that, that was incredible to read because I don't think that we in our own lives take as much notice as you did when you were in a space where, you know, you wouldn't expect yourself to notice as much. And Uh, I guess that's what you mean about being aware, right?
1: I do think so. Yeah. I, you know, there's something about, finding yourself in a place like that where so many things are stripped away that you do feel, you know, just so immediate and kind of present and aware. And, you know, I've tried to kind of remind myself of that feeling of, as you say, the immediacy of holding a pen or writing in a notebook. That kind of, it was because I guess it was so, um, there were no distractions. It really was just me in this place kind of existing. (laughs) So, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And now that you're um what are we now? We're a year and a half afterwards. Is that about right? Um I sorry, my sense of time is like so yes, I think
1: right. yeah, we are a year and a half afterwards. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And yeah. I'm assuming that you are very much on the road to recovery. Um, but I'm assuming you're still in the space where mentally you're always gonna need to do work and physically, you know, having spent that much time not being as active, being in bed so much, not sleeping well, I'm assuming you've still got many years of physically getting back to what we'd like to think of as normal. Am I right?
1: Well, that's a, that's an interesting one, because I feel like once something like that happens, you kind of forget what it feels like to be normal. So I would probably say that I do feel 100% recovered um, physically, uh, mentally. Um, I think mentally, you're right in that is probably something that I'm always going to have to just be aware of checking in with myself and kind of knowing that there is a breaking point, which that I hadn't been aware of before. Um, but definitely, you know, I was able to come off medication relatively quickly. So I had been on an antipsychotic and an antidepressant for about a year when they took me off. Um, so actually, it's it's been two two years, I guess, because that was February 2018. So yeah, it's, um, and then at once I was able to kind of not be on medication anymore, then I could at least feel like at least there's nothing chemically going on in my brain that isn't, you know, that's coming from an external place. Um, and so it's always hard because I can never say with 100% certainty that, yes, I'm back to normal, but definitely for me, I felt that I am back to normal and i i felt that way for quite some time actually
0: that's a really good way to feel i think one of the things that i'm kind of pointing to is we find a new normal and there's nothing wrong with our new normal but i guess we've got to have goals about where we want to be in our strength and in our in our mental state as well Mm -hmm. and i guess um you've now got this this new challenge which um you're now pregnant again right
1: Yes, I am. So I'm in my third trimester. And actually, I'm due in November. Um, so my son will be three. Um, and actually, the baby's due a week after his third birthday. So yeah.
0: gosh, and so your, your body is actually going through this whole new normal again, <laughs> because you're no longer in the normal normal, you're in the pregnancy normal. So um, this is going to be a whole new journey for you. Um, you know, how are you feeling about things like, um, you know, the pressure to breastfeed or the pressure to do certain things when before obviously you wanted to breastfeed and it was taken away from you you know have you sort of thought about being kinder to yourself and being aware of the fact that things don't have to be the way that you might have expected them or other people to expect them and next time just to to be much more um, much more aware and much more kind to yourself when it comes to those sorts of things
1: yeah I definitely think being kind to myself and I think making sure to set myself as a priority because i think the first time it was so much kind of my focus was on taking care of my son making sure that everything was okay with him and i really hadn't thought when everybody kept warning me about things i thought it was because they were worried about my son's um well-being and actually i think a lot of the korean traditions are actually about protecting the mother as well which was a perspective i never considered Um, So that's definitely something that, you know, I want to do. I actually didn't feel and I know this might be different to a lot of people's experiences, but I didn't feel pressured to breastfeed the first time Um, I did it. I I just knew that was something I wanted to try to do. Um, And, you know, it was really kind of crazy to go from exclusively breastfeeding to then just not it was very painful physically actually i really would not recommend it um especially because i would had mastitis only a couple weeks before so it was just it was a mess um so this time um you know if i can breastfeed then yes I, i would like to but i'm also aware that you know i should probably prioritize sleeping um so whether that means pumping or i don't know whatever all the logistics of all that but yeah, I, I, I think I'm just going to have to, you know, set some priorities and kind of just be. I think that's the thing about, you know, why so many women feel so pressured when they have children is, it. There's a sense that as a mother, you have to be this unconditional, just kind of ever giving person, um, so much so that you know any sacrifice, physical, mental, psychological has to be made. And whatever you do actually, at the end of the day, there will always be some guilt. Like I, I've never spoken to a woman who doesn't feel guilt about something, um, it, which I think is really interesting. Um, but yeah, I think trying to really not feel a sense of guilt or shame and just kind of doing the best that you can. I think that's the thing is everybody's just trying to do their best and trying to survive. And that sort of reminder, I think is really important. Absolutely.
0: I mean, I remember thinking when I was coming up to to giving birth that I was very aware of how I had seen other mothers, including my own mother, kind of go through life and, and how they gave to everybody else. And, um, you know, my mom's incredibly caring and she did everything she could for everybody else around her to the point where she struggled with it and, and you know, she didn't put herself first and, and she's the first one to admit that. And, you know, I spoke to her about it just the other day, and I just thought when I was in that position, I thought, I know that I physically can't do that. I can't give everything to everybody else and not start to look after myself because, you know, even looking after myself could be a challenge, let alone a second person. And actually having a baby for me was that point of. I need to look after myself first and foremost, because if I can't look after the baby, there'll always be someone else too. You know, people love babies. They'll always be there. You know, anybody will step in if they need to. Um, and even those that don't know you so well will still also do it. And that was a real wake-up call for me that I thought, I don't have to do this alone. And, you know, I very much have my, my husband and he's been incredibly supportive, but it was times like in the first few weeks, just being able to say, Oh, can, yeah, you know, take her. I'm going to have a cup of tea and sit here without a weight on me for a bit of the day. Or, you know, I'm going to go and, um, you know, take a five minute walk on my own where I don't get to do that. And then, Later, there were sort of baby groups and all these things. And, you know, I think it's incredible that we take our children to things and meet other mums and, and and do it for all the reasons that are great. But when it came down to a social pressure of like, oh, well have you taken your baby to this group and that group? And I was like, quite frankly, I've been to two groups. Both of them were exercise groups and both of them for me, the baby just came along, you know, <laughs> and, and, and she loved it. You know, there were other kids. There was like things to look at. There were mums jumping around doing, you know, all the circuits and stuff. And I thought, but I didn't go to those groups for her she would be fine wherever I took her and she was safe and I cared for her and I made sure she had everything she needed, but I, I prioritized me. And do you think that's something that you don't come across so much with, with the friends that you, that you know, or have they been very much more aware of that sort of thing?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think part of it is probably, out of my friend group, I was one of the first to have a baby. Um, so I didn't know that many pe- peers who had babies um and I think not that the women I did know that they were you know giving everything um but I do I did get a sense that you know especially now when my I have my my friends have babies and things that um yeah there is just the sense of just a sense of guilt I think you know whether it's you know not being able to spend as much time with your baby as you'd like or you know going back to work or not going back to work like all these things I think Um, it's just really hard to kind of remind yourself that actually it's fine and that, you know, you're doing as much as you can. Um, And it's, I think, very easy to feel that whatever you're doing is lacking in some way.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, we are always going to be failing somewhere if we're achieving somewhere else. And that is the reality of life. And I think the sooner we sort of recognize that and accept it and say, yeah, I can't do everything for everybody and myself all the time and sometimes I have to put myself first so I can do something for someone else at any time that's just the way we've got to go because there's so much pressure to to you know put our bosses first or put our husbands first or put our parents first or our grandparents first or our children first especially and and actually we can't do that the whole time
1: no that's very true
0: Um, So obviously, I'm very excited for you having having a next baby. And obviously, I got my fingers crossed, um, because there is a risk, isn't there, of this happening again for you?
1: Yeah, so once you've had postpartum psychosis, the risk actually is 50% of recurrence. So that's very high. Um, And um, it's something that, you know, James and I took really seriously. uh, when We talked about, you know, whether or not we would want to try for more children. Um, But I think, one of the things that i feel very confident about which you know i'm trying not to be reckless as well but confident about is that for me i think it was very situational and environmental whereas for many women it psychosis the postpartum psychosis happens a couple of days after giving birth or in the first week without any discernible cause or factor whereas for me the fact that it happened three months in is very rare um, and they they actually called it a stress induced postpartum psychosis. That was the official diagnosis. So for me, I feel like I'm a much better prepared kind of mentally. I know that I'm you know not that I won't be as susceptible to those kind of c- concerns or worries, and also you know we won't be going on any transatlantic trips. Um, but I think I just have that kind of awareness that. Um, yeah I won't be so uncertain this time because I'll know that actually you know i'm I'm doing it okay, you know
0: so. and being a second time mum, do you think you're going to be able to just trust yourself in the way that? you know, what's best for your baby this time that in a way that when you're a first time mum, it's incredibly hard to do unless you have hammered that home to yourself, having read it in a book or been told by somebody else.
1: No, definitely. I, you know, I, I think that's the thing is the first couple of months when I had my son were challenging, but I felt so I felt mentally very well. Like I felt just like I was in control. I knew what the situation was. I was trusting myself. You know, and it was when we I moved myself out of that situation to listening to all the voices and concerns and worries that I just really took them on in that vulnerable state. And I think this time around I I just won't have that same level of, you know, doubt that I had the first time.
0: Absolutely. And I think I think that's great. And I hope that this particular story um is helpful for somebody out there, you know, you don't have to be somebody who's going to actually suffer from postpartum psychosis to kind of take on what you said today, because being aware of ourselves, being aware of the, the impact of others around us and our, our cultural stresses and things like that mm-hmm. you know being aware of that before you get so affected even if you are currently affected obviously but before you get to a kind of a real stress point of it can help us to kind of get through those and, and know that we can talk to somebody about them and and kind of and, and share that I guess um, so we don't feel so alone and we're not in our own heads so much
1: yeah no definitely yeah for sure absolutely
0: and so if anybody is is keen to read the book because i I do recommend it wholeheartedly genuinely um i i absolutely loved it um it's called inferno a memoir by katherine cho Mm -hmm. and how can they contact you if they wanted to reach out um for any reason
1: Yeah. so i have a twitter page (laughs) um which is what is my twitter name yeah it's cat k cho I also have an Instagram, um, which is public as well, which is Catherine K Cho. Um, And actually, yeah, I've had lots of people reach out through Instagram and Twitter, um, just telling me kind of their story, which has been really a rewarding part of this for sure.
0: Absolutely. And that's Catherine with a C, K, and then Cho with a C. Yeah fantastic well thank you so so much for sharing today um your story and um to give us the opportunity to to tell somebody there's a story that they can read out there and that they can get in contact which is brilliant um i wish you all the best of luck and okay. um and yeah. please stay in touch and i look forward sure. to baby pictures <laughs> <laughs> thank you this podcast exists so that we can raise awareness of issues that stop us living more of a life. And this particular episode rings true to that more than anything else. It explains how the awareness of ourselves and our environment at any time can help us ground and come back to ourselves. For Catherine in her book, she loses her own awareness of herself, but she gains the greater awareness of what's around her and through that she eventually finds herself again. One of the interesting things about the book is is actually a story of love and the way in which the awareness of what love is has been passed down by stories from generation to generation. And as Catherine's found somebody who genuinely does love her as opposed to saying it but treating her appallingly, she's managed to come back to that family unit where she feels so secure and she's been able to share every part of her with them and that's not easy to do. If you are interested in reading Inferno, a memoir by Catherine Cho, there's a link in the show notes but also Even if you don't, just thank you for listening to this podcast and listening to the type of story that people don't tell you about. We don't hear this sort of story, this sort of situation, this reality for actually many people out there. Yes, it's rare, but those who go through it, they don't feel often that they can share what they've been through, how it's affected, what they've learned from it, and actually be able to share it for the benefit of others. So many things are taboo these days. And actually, this is utter extreme mental health, not not at the level that we talk about on a day-to-day basis, but this is real life. This is what people go through. And this is what quote unquote normal people that you would never expect Experience. Anyway, thank you so much for listening again. If you'd like to get in touch with me, my details are on Instagram at IncrementalJane, on LinkedIn under Jane Tarrant, or via my website, canidoitmyself.com. I look forward to hearing from anyone who wants to get in touch, and I'll see you next week.